1: Hello again, welcome to the matchday edition of the Gagan Pod. Coming up, England book their place in the Final 16. Their group winners, what's everybody worried about? Meanwhile, Croatia joined them. So too, Czech Republic. We are one matchday away from knowing all 16 teams in the knockouts. Everybody gets a prize at Euro 2020. We've got all that and a whole heap more coming your way. I'm Richard Bayless stepping in for Dave Weiner. It's always nice to have you with us on the match day edition of the Gagan Pod. Once again, Nick Stoll. Hey, Nick. Hey, how are you, Rich? I'm very well, thank you. I'm getting towards that point where we almost have a day off in this tournament. Ah, no, we don't. There's the Copper America as well. I want to get your thoughts on that a little bit later on in the podcast. We've also got from the Guardian David Squires. Now, Dave. Is this a good day for you? Because I imagine
2: you've got so much more material to work with when it's all bad for England. I do, but this is a performance that delivered everything for me. So, you know, a win for my own emotional well-being, but also... A bit of a dodgy second half performance, so there's a bit to pick out
1: there. (laughs) Plenty to work with, and plenty of question marks too about team selection, which ultimately is what it's all about. It's not about what happens on the pitch. John Alawisi too with us. Uh, John, we're almost there at the end of a group stage, which feels like everybody gets something from it. We'll have a clearer picture in 24 hours after Portugal, France, Hungary and Germany play, but all happy days really from Group D, unless you're Scottish.
0: Yeah, well, the Scots will be kicking themselves because they celebrated too early. They drew with England. It was like they won the Euro. And then um, when the going gets tough and they had to stand up and be counted against Croatia, they went missing and Croatia deserved to win.
1: They did indeed. We'll get some reaction a little bit later on from our Croatian reporter David Davidovic who hasn't slept in about two weeks and he's tried all the different alcohols of Europe over the past couple of weeks. He's uh, very happy today as well. He'll be up and about, I can tell you that. Up and about. We'll say take (laughs) it away Dave. Uh, We'll find out what it's been like for them this morning after that result for Croatia. But we will start at Wembley because a 1-0 victory did confirm that the three Lions will be group winners. They'll go on to face whoever finishes second in Group F. Now that could be one of four nations. It could be France, Portugal, Germany, or Hungary. Let's be honest, when it's England, it won't be Hungary. But I I guess you have to focus, first of all, Nick, on what they have done well. They haven't conceded all tournament long, and whilst they've only scored twice, it's not all
3: doom and gloom, surely. No, and I think there's a lot of positives. I mean, one thing is the form of Raheem Sterling. He's done very well. He scored twice at England. There was talks of him even shouldn't be included in the starting 11. He scored two goals, you know, what? 500 metres away from where he grew up. You know, what a story. The the inclusion of uh, Bakayo Saka and Jack Grealish today, that gives them a lot of hope. So, you know, I think there is a lot of hope for England, but I'm not sure those three teams that they may have to, one of the three teams that they may have to face in round of 16, that to me looks like a big task. It's a big task,
0: but they're playing at home. And, you know, the the home crowd, uh, people probably won't expect them to win. So, when they're not expecting them to win, that they might do well. But, uh, look, there is the positive that I see is that defensively, they've been good. They're not conceding too many chances. They're not conceding Goals in this tournament, but even leading into the tournament, they weren't conceding goals. The thing that worries me is that they haven't really scored goals. They haven't looked threatening. The first half today, this morning, was probably the most threatening they looked. They looked good, cohesive. Saka did well when he came on. Grealish finally got his start, and he showed that he can do uh, you know something out of nothing. And then Sterling's finding form, but you know, for the players they've got, they're still
1: oh, they're playing tournament-winning football instead of. Football that we want to watch. Well, you compare what's happened in Italy, Dave, to what's happened also in Amsterdam, where you've got home nations that have done really well. England haven't conceded. Yeah, they drew with Scotland, but that's all you actually need. It's remarkable how, though, we look at England so much differently from Italy, also France, Germany, and the Netherlands, where at the end of the day, they probably couldn't have done too much more.
2: No, I mean, if you'd said before it started, look, like you could you can go through the group without conceding a goal. Uh, win two games and, you know, a bit of a dodgy draw in the middle. Everyone would have taken it, but there's so much negativity around the England team. It's such a complex beast, you know. Um, I find that the, the pressure that the, the players are under from from the crowd, from, from the media, from the sort of expectation, the sort of unrealistic expectation before the tournament, I think, that England could... Go and win this, and I was never really sure what that was based on. When you looked at the quality of the other other countries involved, um, I wondered whether actually being away from Wembley wouldn't be a bad thing for them. Because um, yeah, as you mentioned, like the atmosphere in Rome has been great, and we saw how much of a lift it gave Denmark in fairly unique and awful circumstances. But they were able to rise to it. Whereas Wembley is you know a, a quarter full not always exactly jumping you know Uh, i mean i was listening to the crowd this uh this morning as england really slowly going through the motions and it was really to the tempo of like five drunken english blokes singing god save the queen really (laughs) really good and that was the goalkeeper in the back four (laughs) (laughs) That's that's right so um yeah maybe being away from from wembley wouldn't have been a bad thing but uh as john said i think that playing one of the better teams might actually give them more of a lift because um, there's an expectation they would beat Croatia, that they would beat Czech Republic, that they would beat Scotland, which probably won't be there when they're playing one of those Group F giants.
0: The thing is that I look at is that um, I understand the pressure and I understand the pressures at home. And that having been in England and played in England, I also understand the media, how they can quickly get on your back or build you up and then knock you down very quickly. But then I look back at Euro 96 and the way they played their football, yes, they lost in the semi-final, but the fans didn't mind because they played that attacking football, great football, uh, you know, it was beautiful to watch. And they've got the players to do that this tournament, and it's just like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Because you, it's very hard to win a tournament, but at least if you're giving it a go. So if the Italians get knocked out next round or, you know, in the quarterfinals, the Italian supporters will still be happy because they go, you know what? We'll happy to see our team playing that way. But if England get knocked out now in the round of 16, it will be a disaster even if they get knocked out against France, Germany or Portugal because of the way they played.
1: It seems like there's this inherent almost resentment towards individuals though in the England side, whether it's because they're so well paid, Dave, or whether it's because of the fact that they can never love the public, never love the England team the way they love their clubs it seems that would be the case across many countries but it seems like in england that's always bubbling away just under the surface
2: yeah totally and i think that people are used to seeing these players play outstandingly outstandingly for their club sides but england aren't manchester city england aren't liverpool you know and they only get together what three or four times a year and so it's always a bit disjointed the thing with england i think uh, it's probably the same the world over you're always looking for the next big thing so you know before we were talking about Sterling earlier. Like he's had a, two great games out of three um, where he's been you know, really solid. He's scored the goal, but they're always looking for the next thing. So it was, you know, we want Grealish in. And then it's, you know, we want, uh, why isn't Sancho playing? Mm. It's the next, the next, the next. And yeah, we all love to see like, exciting young players. But I don't know, there's, there's always that, that need for more. That is uh,
1: very evident, too, when you see the, the clamour for Grealish to come in. He starts, he was good, he ran at defenders, and now everyone's thinking about Jaden Sancho. They move on very quickly. The question mark will inevitably become, if it's not already, what England does. Just a quick word on Czech Republic, though. Are they a contender to do much more in this tournament, Nick, from what you've seen? Because ultimately they're going to finish third. One goal away from finishing top of the group. A little bit unlucky. They were
3: hard to break down in the second 45. Will they return to being minnows in this tournament now? Yeah, I, I think so. They seem like a round of 16 team. I know, I know maybe that's a bit disrespectful to them, but you know they, they did what they had to do to get through. They, they sat back, they counted, they did it well against Scotland, but even against Scotland, Scotland created a lot of opportunities against them. So uh, I'm, I'm not too, I don't think this is going to be a team where they can go on a, a run and surprise us. They, they didn't show a lot for me.
0: You think if they play Spain in the next round they could surprise them because their physicality does play a part and they're real physical. When you see the size of some of those players, that the play came on, he was six foot five and I looked at him and I'm going, get the ball in the box and you're gonna cause problems and when they do get those crosses in and they've got four players attacking the ball, they're a threat. And, uh, and I do fear for whoever plays against them because they'll be going,
1: you know, they're not going to be easy to first of all break down
0: and then second of all, when they come forward, they've got
1: quality. Well, they might end up facing Spain. We'll know that after Spain play their final group game and talk about teams that probably need to move away from home. Spain are in that category, which we'll go through later on. We heard a little bit earlier from Ryan Conway from The Athletic. He was telling us what Gareth Southgate really needs to consider when selecting a starting 11 moving forward.
4: Um, well, it's interesting because I think a lot of things depend on, obviously, uh, Mason Mount. Um, now, it's going to be touch and go, I think, for if he's going to be available for the last 16 games. It's not just the isolation, it's then getting him back up to speed and, and those sorts of things, which, which shouldn't take him too long. Um, but I, I think, I just don't think you can drop Jack Grealish after that performance. The, the the Not just the assist, but his general play, I thought, was just very, very good. Um, and if the, the squad is being picked on merit, I, I think he has more than earned... Um, the starting berth in the uh, in the last 16 game, and I think whoever that that is against, be it Germany, France, Portugal, whoever that may may be of of those of those three the runners up, um, I think Grealish could be a problem for those teams because I, I think he is um, he would be able to exploit those spaces that those teams would leave him behind. Such would be their their the attacking nature. Um. So, yeah, and I think with Germany, particularly with their back three, I think Grealish could be very, very good at maybe dragging one of those centre-halves out into places that they don't want to be in. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think he's, I think he's done um, enough.
1: And as we've mentioned, until he's allowed to select probably 23 to 26 players in a starting side, nobody will be happy. But defensively, we touched on it before, clean sheets at home as well. Building a tournament, the Didier Deschamps way of doing it, by the way, John, it's not particularly interesting or exciting, particularly for the neutral, but if they win it, and you mentioned the fact that if they don't, they'll be poured over the coals, but if they win it, who cares how they get there? That's why I said it's
0: tournament winning football because you saw the way the French won the World Cup you saw uh, 2 years earlier the way that uh, Portugal won the Euro and you know in years gone by even Greece so that that's a way of winning football if you're solid at the back you don't know, concede goals um, and you've got some quality going forward which they've got a lot of quality you'll always you know get a goal and uh, so it's not exciting to watch
1: i don't particularly
0: like it but you can say if they win it, he's doing the right thing.
1: What's leading the panels after this one, Dave? After this
2: one, I mean, it's only just finished. I'm still half asleep. No, we expect <laughs> it now. We expect comedic genius now. Were you sleeping during the second half? <laughs> I mean, it was such a roller coaster of emotions, and they were all flat. Um, it was more like a sort of like a ghost train where there's no ghosts there. Um, was leading it i don't know probably i mean sacco was was amazing i thought oh at least in the first half it's so great to see someone actually run at defenders and um you know create the space and it was his movement that that really was instrumental in that first goal as well um but in terms of of comedy i probably need to go back and look at it actually in terms of comedy i'd probably do something about about scotland (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's harsh
1: Great dig by the way And that's a great segue too Because we do need to talk about Croatia Getting through with a 3-1 victory over Scotland At Hampden Park Before we get on to the game Let's go to David Davidovic Who's been all over the place during this tournament And that's just on air After all the alcohol he's consumed He's been from one social club to the next He's been with the Macedonians He's been with the Scots He's been with the Croatians this morning And of course as a Croatian Young fellow himself, he's pretty happy, I suspect. Dave, tell us a little bit about what it means, not only to get through to the round of 16, because that's obviously what you expect from Croatia, but more the fact that they had to do it, they had to produce with a backs-to-the-wall performance, and they went and did it in some style.
5: Yeah, um, I was going to say good morning, boys. I'm not even sure what time of day it is. Uh, my days, my hours, etc., cetera, are, uh, are all over the shop as they are for you boys, no doubt. But weird feeling, um, to be honest, the uh, Today and uh, not so much afterwards. Croatia advancing to the knockout phase, obviously, uh, you know, elation uh, for the for the community. But just you know, off the back of the national team making the World Cup final in two thousand and eighteen, and two pretty uh, average performances to start the tournament. Um, yeah, I'd say excitement levels were pretty uh, pretty low uh, going into this last game. So, getting out of the group phase, it's almost like a pass mark. It was the minimum. Uh, minimum requirement uh, if they had have uh, been knocked out which you know obviously a loss or a draw uh, today um, that uh, result would have ensued then it would have been disastrous and you know post-mortems would have begun but uh, the fact that they've got through past mark and uh, now I think everyone's focused on the, the round of 16.
1: I love the fact that you've been all over the place at all weird and wacky times of the day. But this morning, it was early in the morning. The atmosphere took a little while to build and at full time, you know, luckily you're there to really drum it up because you could sense that everybody was in a bit of two minds as to whether or not to celebrate or not. But surely when Luka Modric hit that second goal with the outside of his boot, everyone would have lost it.
5: Yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah, again, like sort of just that context, you know, the... the, the, um, you know coming into it and uh and, and expecting that this scene look they, they should have uh you know should have advanced by this stage but they hadn't and then all that sort of stuff in addition to the fact that we did the cross from Geelong and everyone lives about uh, 400 to 600 meters from the uh, Croatian Dom in Geelong so uh, I think they all rolled out of bed at about 4.55 in time for the 5 a.m. kickoff so we didn't have too many people on here for the first cross reach but uh by uh, by half time and uh, by the end of the game, they were they were there and they were up and about and we had the squeeze box there and uh, nothing like a Luka Modric goal with the outside of the foot if you don't mind to, to fire up the crowd.
3: Double, it's Nick Stoll here. Uh, I wanted to say, first of all, that I've loved every time you've uh, given a live coverage to us from these community clubs all across Melbourne and Victoria. But I wanted to ask, how is your dry cleaning, Bill? Because every time I see you, there's, there's <laughs> beer being spilled on you, there's liquid being spilled on you. Is Optus taking care of you on that front as well?
5: No, I've got my wife to thank for uh, for that one. She's been uh, unbelievable. Um, hasn't been a lot of me over the last uh, last uh, week or so. But, um, mate, it's been good fun. Um you know, the the, the Scots were uh, were up and about the other day at uh, at five a.m. and uh, there was a neighbour who wasn't too thrilled with uh, with what was going on at the pub. <laughs> but um, mate, it's it's been it's been unbelievable to be honest. Like every community has just like really embraced us, um, really thankful with Optus and the coverage. And uh, you know, the, the two of my favourites. I mean, I've loved all of them, but you know, the, the two that kind of stand out. That far the Macedonian community um, and the Hungarians. And like Dead said, the Hungarians, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, they could have lost 6 0 and they just would have had a ball. Um, you know, the, the fact that they've qualified and, you know, it's a celebration in itself. But when they went up 1 0 against France and almost jagged that win, like that was akin to, that was Croatia, you know, making the World Cup final three years ago. So, you know, down at that one uh, turner um hungarian social club which is the the epicenter for the hungarian community here and used to um, run some clinics down there and all that i mean that's where we filmed for the football belong series for for hungary as well um yeah they were uh, they were absolutely buzzing but uh yeah it's uh, it's been tough work boys i'm not gonna lie everywhere i turn up everyone's just expecting me to uh to get on it and uh, and have a big one so uh yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm playing on one leg at the moment, but uh, we're, we're getting through it.
0: Davo, I'm sure when it's deep into the tournament and Italy are playing either in the semi-final or the final, you'll be down Ligon Street. What are you looking forward to when you're down Ligon?
5: Well, I'm looking forward to hopefully having a coffee and a, uh, you know, a, a focaccia or a piadina, you know, as opposed to... Uh, um, you know, beer go, or Scotch.
3: A... <laughs> nah, yeah. Very fine Vino Tinto is gonna be on <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's um
5: look it's been challenging, you know, with, with COVID uh uh lockdowns in Melbourne and we've just come out of those and um you know, we've obviously been sensitive um to that as well. And part of the reason we've gone out to, to Geelong, which is part of regional Victoria where restrictions did ease uh sooner. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, good to see you confident about Italy's chances, Johnny. They are, they are looking good. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because now it's kind of like it's almost back to, to square one, isn't it? Like once you're in the knockout phase, the, we've seen teams, and I guess France at the 2018 World Cup are a good example where they weren't necessarily, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders in the group phase. They just got through, but time their run to perfection, so I'm not sure that's going to happen with the, uh, the Croatian national team as much as I would uh, would love it to, but um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's certainly open, but hanging to get the Ligon spread, Johnny.
1: Well, Croatia, a decent draw now. They'll play second in Group E, which still might be Spain, might be Slovakia, Poland, or Sweden. Dave, you might not be aware, but at Optusport HQ, we're playing bingo. We're playing Euro 2020 bingo throughout the tournament. Uh, Adriano Del Monte's got a couple of phrases. He tells everybody about him going everywhere. I've been everywhere through this tournament. He also brings up Italia 90 at any particular opportunity. Andy Townsend talks about getting to the byline and nothing else in (laughs) CoComs. You've got a couple of phrases. One is up and about, which you've said a couple of times in this podcast being from victoria that being an afl phrase i'm not totally surprised your other one is uh, take it away boys once the uh, the dancing starts and it's when your dancing starts actually that is arguably the moment now dave squires is talking about you know positivity for england where do you start with a cartoon might i suggest dave you might start with david davidovich's dancing on the screen
2: is that an option dancing. it's a long tournament you gotta to pace yourself but yeah it Absolutely. You've got to have something in the back pocket. for If there's any more games like this England one this morning, I'll need some of that material.
1: Did you hear that, Davutovic? You have to pace yourself.
0: Look, if if he's having coffee down like on and they put a little bit of grappa in there, Dave, you will be dancing all over the place. (laughs) I can tell you that. But you you spoke about Italy. I was was
5: warming up this morning. I was loosening the shoulders, but uh, you did cross to the studio prematurely, (laughs) but... I didn't get a chance to bust the groove, Rich.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. We knew what we were doing this morning. Um,
5: (laughs) It's it's been a
1: long groove stage. But, Dave, it's been a pleasure to have you on the pod. It's been a pleasure to have you on the coverage. So many people have said to me, I love when Davutovic goes out to those clubs because no no one has a clue what's about to happen, least of all you. But we look forward to knowing what happens next and seeing you throughout the knockouts. Take care, mate. We'll speak soon.
5: Thanks, boys, and good to know what's happening in the football because, to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of football either.
1: (laughs) And I reckon that's probably the case, by the way, for everybody that Dave is out with uh, during those games. But that's part of it, the enjoyment. The enjoyment as well for people who are watching their team just being there and that being enough. The Hungarians, proud footballing nation, great history. They're back, North Macedonia, seeing Pandev score, seeing, you know, them compete in all three games as well. There's plenty more to come in this tournament. Not, however, Dave, for Scotland. No, and d-
2: despite my harsh dig earlier, uh, I do feel feel bad for them. I mean, they they had chances as well, right? When it was one all, they had a couple of chances, and they were pretty unlucky against the Czech Republic, but um, at least they had the, the goalless win at Wembley last week <laughs> that, um, that they celebrated wildly, so they've, they've got that. I can't help myself. Damn it. Yeah, but
0: you know what? With the Scottish national team, it, it was a... Uh it was good to be there because they hadn't qualified for a while, and um, they did put on good performances, like you said. You know, in that first game, they against Czech that they were they. Were Good and uh, and against England, you know, it was a great performance. It w- they celebrated, which I understand, but they actually performed really well. So it's unfortunate because they w- they thought they were in the box seat, playing at home against Croatia, and who hadn't played well, um, that they would have got through the group stage. But in the end, I think they'll be quite content with the performances.
3: Yeah, and you saw that again in the ninety third minute. All the fans got to their feet and were singing and were kind of really sending their team off. You know, the the, the moment when Callum McGregor scored their first goal in twenty three years. At a major tournament it was huge. You could feel the stadium trembling. It was, it was a special time, and like you say, they did have chances. You know, there were moments where you thought maybe it was going to be their time. Maybe they were going to do something, you know, historical. Um, but you know, the Luka Modric was so so good, and I think once that second goal went in, we, we kind of knew what was happening. And you got to say for the Scotland fans, they've witnessed two of the great goals of this championship. At Hampton Park. So, you know, even though they have the heartbreak of, you know, not going through, the beauty of those two goals, I mean, that's something that you're always going to remember.
2: I think I saw earlier John McGinn talking about just getting there isn't enough anymore. Like, they've got players that can take them to the next level and get them past that group stage. I feel that their chance really came in those first two games. They could have beaten England easily. And they were undone by, like, just switching off against the Czech Republic in that first game where... You know, they lost a man at a corner, uh, and then Schick, obviously, the great vision to to see that um, the goalkeeper had wandered off into the the highlands, uh, <laughs> the gently flowing, you know, meadows. He was off there, and you know, to have the skill to execute that goal was so really that that's what undone them.
3: It's that time of the year; your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves.
1: It was also nice to have that Scottish influence on the coverage from Hamden Park in Glasgow. I mean, Eish Ferguson with the Scottish heritage, she loved being up there talking about Iron Brew and tenants and whatever else. I mean, Kevin Musket and Craig Moore pretty much unsighted because they are in the bar the whole time. But you sense, oh, I love on the pregame today as well, John, when you know Eish says, you know, Maury's promised me a lock-in if Scotland win. <laughs> I've had beers with Eish. I know you've had beers with Maury. Who, who are you backing in that? Who's the last man standing, so to speak? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, hearing the way that you spoke about Ish, I reckon Ish could drink more under the table. Look, more he can drink. He can have a few beers, um, but I wouldn't put it past each. That
1: would be a sight, though. I hope they record it because
0: I would love to see a (laughs) lock-in.
1: It's definitely happening regardless of the result, by the way. There's no doubt about that. We turn our attention to the final day in the group stage, which feels like it's gone for five minutes. We uh, turn our attention to groups E and F. We'll start with E coming your way on Thursday morning Australian time. At the moment, Spain are the big disappointments, as we've already kind of hinted at to this stage. And they have to win, effectively. They can no longer get through or rely on getting through with a draw because results elsewhere might take that away from them. They've been highly disappointing to this stage, Nick, and you just wonder whether they just need to get this group stage done, sort of get their energy back. You know, they've had issues leading into the tournament, get some goals, get it out of the
3: system, and get away from Seville. Yeah, and I think once they do break through, Uh, if they do, then there will be some momentum behind them. They've created so many chances. They've actually had some good performances. I I do think, and I wonder what you think, Johnny, but Jared Moreno to start up front instead of Alvaro Morata in the number 9 role because Moreno did start the last game but he was out wide and I feel that hampered him a little bit big calls that Luis Enrico needs to make in this match yeah massive calls and
0: uh, and you're right they have been performing well I thought they performed better against Sweden they still created chances in their second game but you think that to uh, at home against Slovakia they'll get over the line and then once they're through that group stage because we're talking about England with the pressure it's the same with the Spanish the Spanish are ruthless they come for the plays very quick it was before the tournament. They were coming for Morata and uh, and singing that he's so bad, you can't play him, you can't start him. Um, but what hasn't helped them? They're playing in a football stadium that's not a football stadium. It's a it's a an athletic stadium. The pitch isn't great, and the way Spain play, they play majority of the time. They got seventy percent possession. It hasn't helped them a lot. So I would like to see them if they do finish top. I think they go to Hampden Park. It'll be great to see him there. It would be great because it, that is a proper football pitch, and it'll be nice to see Spain the way they play. I know that a lot of criticism. Van der Vaart, who played it in Spain for Real Madrid, has come out and absolutely smashed them and said they're the most boring team to watch. The only thing they do is pass the ball sideways. They go nowhere with it
1: and they've got no chance of winning this tournament. That's quite an achievement in that group, by the way. If they're the most boring team out of themselves, <laughs> Sweden, Poland and Slovakia, hats off to them, I
3: say, Nick. Well, and I just also want to say, the final game is at 6pm in Seville and you oh. can you can attest to this, 32 degrees it's going to be. That's tough for the Slovakians. So, I, I think we might see Spain finally break down if I only because the Slovakians are going to pass out with, you know, the heat.
0: Yeah, the biggest thing they do, they need goals. If they can get their strikers firing, their front three firing, because I don't think their midfielders are natural goal scorers. Um, So if they can get those three firing, I'm sure that the Spanish will go forward and do well in this tournament.
2: Just talking about those Spanish combinations, I think you look at Luis Enrique and his chinos, sockless chinos and trainers you know, combo going on there. You're not happy why. with the chinos? Look, I'm wondering whether he's sort of prepared, lining himself up for a job at Optus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it, you know, he has got that Optus look, hasn't he? Well, he um, with the chinos, the white shoes, the the polo. Last time it looked like he'd come off the golf course and then he um, he came to the stadium and they didn't get
3: the wind that they needed. I'm surprised he wasn't wearing thongs because we know that he lived in Noosa for, I think, mm-hmm. a year when he was uh, after he retired. So maybe he's picked up some of the fashion from Australia when he was in uh, Noosa. We're going to claim Lyndon Dykes
1: and we're going to claim Luis Enrique. <laughs> and both of those teams won't be in the knockout stage. That's how good we're going. I'm glad you picked up on that too, Dave, because... One, everybody has. I just want to say, we, well, I, at least, always wearing socks. They might not be visual. Always wearing socks. I'm always socks. wearing socks.
0: Okay. Well. Well, that's short, th- very short socks. That's, that's two very, of us. Very short. Can't You're speak for false, Bridgie.
2: Full socks. Like the false nine. No. So, <laughs>
0: so I've gone from being... In Italy, that you had to wear those socks up to your knees to living in Spain and wearing those really small socks that no one can see, but your feet don't stink after. Um, but uh, Luis Enrique, yeah, I, look, I love the way he dresses. He's very casual.
1: Well, when we're talking about sock height, what's Jack Grealish's excuse? Yeah, Beautiful Carves. calves. Yeah, Beautiful. big calves. Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> if I had legs like that, I'd be wearing short shorts.
0: The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like the 90s, where they used to wear those really short tight... Shorts. They were good.
2: You know what?
3: Speaking which, I don't know if anyone saw Yaya Torre's um, article in the Athletic about the the use of the bum and how important the the bum, the posterior, is in football. And you know, he was he was complimenting Eden Hazard, saying he has the best bum in football. In such a way that it was you know very yeah. very impressive.
0: Yeah. Mm. Look, he probably didn't say it in the right way, but uh, you get a lot of power from your glute area and. Uh, you know, that's where you get all your, your sort of your initial power, your first few metres. And by the way, Toure had some glutes on him and you couldn't get him off the ball. But um, I don't think he meant bum in that way. Who, who
3: would you say had the best glutes in the soccer say, when you were in the golden generation? The golden glutes, if you will.
0: Well, I don't know if Dukes had the best glutes, but he used it pretty well. (laughs) You could never get the ball off of him. Not because he
1: was sitting on them. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) But what I will say is Scotty McDonald, that low centre of gravity, his glutes used to stick out a lot and um, he used to
1: use his glutes a lot. (laughs) Well, speaking of aesthetics, I'm sure the TV directors when Sweden play Poland will be focusing their attention on the crowds as per usual. (laughs) And that's for a couple of reasons. One, the aforementioned, but also because the football could be quite turd. in St. Petersburg, Sweden. I mean, it's a battle of, you know, defensive teams. You think maybe Lewandowski might pop up with a winner in this one because Sweden, to this point, Dave, have been arguably
2: the hardest team to watch by distance. They really have. Um, And in these tournaments, like I say, you've got to to pace yourself. And when it gets to this stage of the tournament, you have to maybe pick which games you're going to watch. Um, It's easy to feel that you're drowning in football at some points. And actually... In retrospect, getting up to watch Austria versus uh, Ukraine yesterday morning was—I, I mean, I—I I was swept away in the currents of that one. Well-
3: Can I say, that was the game that I believe that you said you would eat your hat if Mm. uh, it wasn't 0-0. Well, you'll notice I'm not wearing a hat because I've already done it. (laughs) I thought it was set up for a
1: 0-0 for sure. And from Sweden's perspective, you look at this one, they only need a point to go through. They might not even need a point to go through. Poland, though, do need to score. And we saw with Croatia needing to win it does kind of liven it a bit. And with that pressure on Lewandowski now, we might not
2: see him at too many more major tournaments. They just have to have a crack, surely. I thought Poland were pretty good in both the games. They were fairly unlucky in that first one where they were on top until they had the guy sent off and obviously that changed things. And I thought they were really, really good the other day against Spain. They, they could have easily, you know, like we're saying about Scotland, they could have easily have won that game and Spain in big trouble. Um, but yeah... It, Like, you go into these things, you look at Poland and think it's Lewandowski and plus 10. But, you know, they've all done the bit...
0: Yeah, Paulo Sosa does like his teams to play on the front foot anyway, and
1: uh, you'd expect that against Sweden because mm. Sweden will be sitting off deep. And they'll be happy enough with that. It's funny, you mentioned Lewandowski and 10 others. I walked in to work the other night, and there's a new graphic, an Sport graphic of all the key players. I think it's like seven or eight players, and it's meant to be like a social header, and it's got you know the, the usual suspects, Mbappe and Ronaldo and Kane, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's got Matthias Klick from Poland it doesn't have Lewandowski and I got affronted by one of the guys as I got in the door saying how on earth did you get Mateus Click in it how did you get a Leeds player in it I just, I didn't say anything I just think that that's slowly the Leeds Unitedness is getting into everyone here and I think it can only be a good thing oh absolutely and
3: I mentioned Marcelo Bielsa in my story about um, Uruguay uh, sorry Argentina and Paraguay yesterday so you know anytime you can get Bielsa Leeds I think uh, Rich looks very favourably on that it's oh, remarkable it's taken so long I this thought you
0: are going to talk about when we walk in and we got the all the Optus crew. It's Rich and 10 others. He's even got a segment named after him, Rich yeah.
1: History. I was
2: going to say, Your words, not just, mine. We've only just come through one pandemic. We don't need another
1: <laughs> one. even worse. Yeah, exactly. Yes, well, uh, let's let's see when both of our teams are in the same league and which one it is. It's probably going to be League 2 sooner rather than later, David. But that's another story for another day. Those two games in Group E, by the way, happening at the same time. 2 a.m. coverage gets underway, am Eastern Standard Time. Neve and the guys will be in the studio. After that, it is the group of death. Group F Germany host Hungary whilst Portugal face elimination if they don't beat France or they need to basically get a point at least and hope for the best. This is exactly what we hoped it would be. Uh, this group and I think in terms of Germany-Hungary this is the one you just expect the Germans to go and win given Hungary away from home and Germany were phenomenal last time
3: yeah absolutely I, I think Germany really kind of proved a few people wrong and the confidence will be building. Um, They've kind of worked out how to find Thomas Muller in space. Gosen's had the the game of his life. Uh, They got the best out of Kimmich as well, even though they were playing him on the right. So, that's really good. I think Portugal's a really interesting one. Uh, Fernando Santos getting criticised heavily in Portugal. So he should. They're calling him the bus driver. And he's always, there's even jokes that, you know, if he had Messi, Maradona, Pelé, whatever. He would make it boring. He'd still play two holding midfielders, Danilo and William Carvalho. So, um, what do you think?
0: But see, this is what We mentioned before about England with Gareth Southgate. You know, as soon as you don't get good results, you're going to be quickly criticized because Portugal won the Euro, but with the plays they've got, they shouldn't be playing the football they're playing. They, they they should be playing a lot better and getting better results because they beat Hungary 3-0, but it wasn't convincing. No. They they only started scoring those goals in the last few minutes of the game. And then against Germany, they got completely opened up, completely outplayed. It was only the last half hour when Germany made those changes and took Gosens off and started to to you know give other players a, a chance. Ross, that could have been six, mm. you know. So they they got a big task. And if they don't get through this group or if they don't do well in the latter stages of this tournament he will be gone I I
1: can't see him keeping his job not with these players playing that sort of football Dave uh a lot of attention on this game has been centered on off the field, specifically in the stands around the stadium. UEFA have denied the German football's request to be able to light up the Allianz Arena, or the football Arena, as it's been called during this tournament, in the colours of the rainbow. This in response to what's been happening with some of the ultras in Budapest, the government as well, in Hungary. A bit of a homophobic kind of you know slander happening from a lot of the football public and we've seen great scenes in Budapest by the way but there has been that element to it so already the focus is kind of off the football here a little bit of a shame I suppose that UEFA
2: weren't able to allow them to light the stadium up. I think with UEFA the thing one of the things that annoys people is that so they're very quick to attach themselves to to causes on social media when they think it's, it's good for the you know it's a PR exercise but when something like this happens, then then they retreat back into this sort of conservative outlook. I kind of tend to think that Munich should have just done it anyway, and then, you know, paid the fine, which wouldn't have been too high, because UEFA can't be seen to, you know, really slam them. But, um, I don't know, I, I mean, perhaps the German players can, can do their own sort of form of protest uh, I'm not sure. Well, like maybe rainbow haircuts, or I don't know <laughs> something that is. Well, there's the Noye, rainbow captain's armband. Yeah, Noy has been, been
0: wearing it uh, already in the first mm. two games. Yeah, it is a shame because I, I agree with you. They should have done it anyway because the you know then after cop the fine. Don't worry about it. We've we've got our point across and we wanted to get our point across
1: it's a shame that UEFA stopped it from happening. The best That's protests are the ones where you don't ask permission in the first
3: place. Exactly. That's <laughs> yeah, the whole point of protest, right? And and also German fans are known for doing very creative protests. We've seen in the Bundesliga when they when they're protesting, you know, things like ticket prices and stuff. I remember once they threw about a million tennis balls onto the field because they were complaining that it was the price of a tennis match or something. So, I think we might still see a protest whether it be, you know, a sanctioned one through the stadium or the fans taking it on themselves.
2: Well, I think one of the other issues is that if is As is rumoured to be true, that UEFA are looking to move the semi finals and the final back to Budapest, then they want to keep that government happy. And, you know, so to be seen to to be Mm. backing this protest might have caused them problems. But, yeah, it's a sad situation.
1: Yep. Well, they're the two games to look forward to tomorrow. It should be fascinating on the pitch. The best thing about these games happening at the same time, as we saw probably less so today, but more 24 hours previously when we had Russia and Denmark and Finland and Belgium in action, the seesawing back and forth is really, really good to watch. So get two screens up if you can. And the two... Scenarios here, well, there are many scenarios, but all four teams able to go through both games you think would be highly watchable. That's just about it for today in terms of the Euros. But Nick, in terms of what's happening in the Copper America, we know a little bit similar to the Euros, every team gets a prize in the Copper America and the tournament goes for about three years. What's the latest with Chile? Because it looks as though everything is
3: absolutely falling apart. Rich, I want to say to you, I know you've made some wonderful documentaries in Australian football, but we need to start working on the documentary for Copper America 2021. Well, you know who used to be the, the Chilean manager?
2: Marcelo, That's
3: right. So, keep, we, yeah, keep going. Go. Okay, <laughs> so we got this. We got this. But Chile, and Dave, you've got to get this, the panels ready because there's going to be some content here. They have had a multi-million dollar uh, legal battle with Nike over a kit supplier deal, which means that they are now covering the Nike uh, symbol on their shirt. That was the first thing. The second thing was uh, pre-tournament, they had a drone flying above their uh, training, training ground. They thought it was the Argentinians trying to spy on them, so they sent their own drone up to smash it. Two drones came down. None of them are working. It turned out to be a local power supplies drone who were trying to check on the lights up not there. Not Bielsa again. Not not Bielsa, not Spygate. but you can see where the paranoia came in. Then third, he sticks to bolt cutters, by the (laughs) way. (laughs) Then the third thing was this game against Uruguay almost got called off because Arturo Vidal and Gary Medel decided to have a haircut. Now they're under strict COVID protocols; they're not allowed to bring in a hairdresser. They brought in a hairdresser, and they thought, "Okay, guys, we've got a great trim. Let's show it on social media." So they showed the haircut. Then Uruguay asked for the game to be called off and them to be awarded the three points, which you know was a good. But they were trying to do that because Uruguay's in awful form; hadn't scored in four games. The game finally went ahead. 1-1. Um, ben Brereton, the Englishman, born and raised in England, set up the goal uh, for Chile. And then Luis Suarez finally broke the duck for Uruguay. Their first goal in five games. He basically nearly smashed Arturo Vidal's leg to get to it. It probably should have been a foul. Then Luis Suarez did one of the great you know, bits of what Luis Suarez does, getting in the way of Claudio Bravo, making sure that he couldn't quickly take uh, the goal kick it was it was a wonderful, incredible game. And that was even before we got to Messi having, having an amazing game for Argentina. So, Copa America, crazy, but I think it's going to end up being the best sports documentary of all time.
1: The most ridiculous thing about that story is the fact that Vidal and Gary Mandel were getting haircuts. At their age, it's pretty impressive to still have hair, I think.
3: Absolutely. And also, you got to see Vidal's hair. I mean, if you haven't, why is he desperately needing that maintain. Someone should say, grow it out, man. It's,
1: it's awful. You're 35 years old. It's actually in the documentary that Amazon Prime did, France, the 2018 World Cup, they get the hairdresser in and it's almost like a team bonding exercise where every single player, they look at each other's hair and that's like a, what was the equivalent in your day, John? I know you're you know, pretty well groomed in terms of your hair, but what about that sort of in team bonding kind of scenario?
0: I think a few of us at the Olympic Games in 2004 were bored so we just had a buzz cut. We, someone had the, you know, the shearers out and then we just all started getting a buzz cut. We couldn't afford to get hairdressers in I don't think <laughs> or you couldn't get them in anyway because it was Olympic Village but uh, yeah you,
3: you guys played against Argentina that tournament right yeah we did and who was the coach of Argentina that time
0: Bielsa, hey, Bielsa. so Bielsa started having a go at me during the game but I, I thought he was having a go at me because it seemed like he was he was calling me all sorts of names under the sun and I turned around and, and had a go back at him and then in the Olympic Village we were sitting there and he came up and apologised he said I wasn't having a go of was having a go at one of my players because he wasn't doing his job but I do apologize apologised if he thought it was for you
1: so yeah it was pretty good. Well just to round out the chat on both Leeds and haircuts Bridgie tells the story that when Leeds were in the Champions League and they got to the semi-finals they all shaved their heads before the semi-finals against Valencia David O'Leary was furious because they wanted to be lean and mean and O'Leary just said you guys have lost the plot and they did they lost quite heavily in that so (laughs)
2: there's
1: there's something in that. Dave what's sort of catching your eye over the remainder over the next couple of days before we see you again on the pod? I'm
2: going to take some, uh, some downtime before the knockout stage so I, I'm not doing anything tomorrow that's it and then yeah get ready for, for the knockouts which is I think is when the tournament really starts you know because there's been a few sort of dead rubbers um, in the last few days so it'd be good to get back to knockout football
1: and given the likelihood of extra time when tournament football becomes really tight and tense you need all the energy you can in the system so
0: are you waiting for a Pickford moment? Do you you think that you have one in the knockout stages? Because he's been exceptional in these games.
2: I've been waiting for a John Stones moment, and I'm kind of worried that (laughs) that he's been all right. (laughs) But if they do it at the same time, if they both combine for that moment, you might get away with only shipping in one. (laughs) So I'm sort of bracing myself for it. Um, But no, so far, yeah, Pickford's been great so far. It's really bad for my job. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: hopefully you can pick through the bones of a fantastic England performance in the group stage. They're through with seven points. They haven't conceded. They've only scored twice, but they're top of the group where they'll probably lose here on into France or Germany or Portugal in the second round. It's been a pleasure, Dave, to have you on as always. John Aloisi, great form. And Nick... Keep those updates coming on the Copper America because they are seriously nuts. And for you guys out there listening, it's always great to have you on board. Dave Weiner will be back tomorrow. We'll see you on the next edition of The Gagin' Talk.